Welcome to this week's Two Men in the Middle. This is where two men in the middle of the country get together and talk about politics, current events, and other fun stuff. I'm Craig Huey. I'm Brandon Kinnig. Brandon, this is our last podcast of 2021, and I we, we kind of texted today, setting this up, and thought it might be a, a decent idea to do a kind of a year in review for, for 2021. Um, just kind of thinking through what our expectations were coming off of 2020, the, the most disruptive year anybody has ever been through. I think that that's currently alive. Expectations were high for 2021 just in general. Socially, right. politically, economically, personally, I think everybody wanted to just knock it out of the park on 2021. How do you, did your 2021 live up to the bar that you had set or did it fall short? No, mine didn't. <laughs> and I think for most, it fell short. And I think partially because our expectations were so high, we were aiming for a reset. And I think you summarized it pretty well a reset in the pandemic, um, ending that finally, a reset in our politics, our national discourse. And we didn't really have that. We had some marginal incremental improvements in all of those areas, but we're kind of sputtering along. And and that's what it feels like. Like it's not clearly 2021 was a 2020, you know, there were some, some improvements, but uh, it's nowhere near normal or a sense of normal that we were aiming to get back to. Were you for, for 2021, would you have been happy getting back to normal or would you have been happy of making up with some for 2020? What, what was your goal saying, if I can do this in 21, or 2021, was it just getting back to normal? Or I know a lot of people that wanted to, to do some stuff or exceed kind of what they typically do to make up for 2020. How did you approach 2021 in relationship to 2020? Well, I, I know personally, I wanted to travel a lot more, be able to go, I think, to, you know, be... Uh, where we were before in terms of concerts and sporting yeah. events and but you and had some travel crowds. makeup to do yeah exactly so you know and i i did travel out of the country so i accomplished that although i did it right before <laughs> many of these countries are locking yeah. back down because of omicron so you know again it's one of those where you know we had some some gains but we had setbacks for a variety of reasons we have a new variant we have we still have a stubborn 40% of the population doesn't want to get vaccinated. Yeah. So we have a population where variants are going to continue to circulate. So we, we have that. And then as far as politics go, we still have gridlock and dysfunction and, and the inability to, to get things done. You know, you had one, um, I think, you know, major, well, I guess you could say two major achievements. You had the, the COVID legislation and then you had the infrastructure bill to pass. But outside of that, um, it's been difficult and we're always now at the brink every couple of weeks with, um, just being able to fund the government with these spending bills. <laughs> and so it seems like we get right up to the, the brink of defaulting on our obligations before cooler heads prevail and we're able to, uh, get a bill passed. So, yeah, I, I think it's, I don't know. It's been, it's, it's hard to describe. It's been, um, it's an improvement over 2020, but it's still been disappointing, is it fair to say politically that 2021 has been a disappointment? It has not yes. lived up to, to what expectations were, both right. from a, a political kind of rhetoric and a political environment perspective. I thought when Trump left, I didn't think the fever would totally break, but I thought the waters would, would drop a little. I thought things would calm down a small bit, maybe just a, just with the lack of tweeting and the constant poking for the president, maybe we could get back to a little bit of the, of the non-functioning government that, that, that we're used to kind of having in the United States. Uh, overall, I've been bitterly disappointed in the Biden presidency. I think it started from Afghanistan. They've not really, I don't, I don't think they've, They've not messaged on COVID very well. They've not handled the transition from pandemic to endemic at all. I think in some ways they are still treating this as a, as a pandemic of early 2020, and that's just not the case. And politically, it just feels like we've never been able to get our feet back underneath of us since Trump left office. Yeah. And some of that is how he left office. January 6th still leaves kind of a lasting political scar. And it still looms over us. And it the sure anniversary does. is approaching in just a couple of weeks. But I thought, I mean, let's, from, from your expectations politically, let's take the, the legislation and, and what the government actually does out of it and just take the, the political environment um, in general. 
Again, I thought lower temperatures. I thought you would see some of the partisanship die down. I thought there would be at least a a good faith attempt by a few people to make some pivots back to to bipartisanship and to kill off some of the 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 high the high level that we've been seeing up to this point. I really haven't seen that happening. In fact, no. I think a lot of things have gotten worse as people have become more entrenched, and now they're, it's kind of becoming aware that hey, Trump wasn't all of the problem. There were problems other than Trump's mere presence, and those problems continue to exist in 2021. Well, Trump ignited the fire, and it continues to burn even as his presence is less visible and less felt by everybody. And and that's the, the issue. The tone hasn't really changed, and I think most of us were hoping that the tone would because you wouldn't have Trump there with the megaphone yeah. of the Oval Office and all of the media at his disposal to um, be hammering out, uh, you know, this uh, his diatribes and um, polarization. But I, I don't know if I've ever asked you this, but I've heard this analogy that was Trump the murderer or was he the coroner? Was Trump the politician that killed politics as we know it? As so that we may we're never talking. go back to what you know, we true, but did he kill it or was he just the person who came by and said that person's dead or did he just point it out that this thing we, we thought politics was and what norms were and how people were supposed to act and behave. Did he just point out in this very robust, sometimes terrible way, Hey, that died decades ago. And I'm just not playing by a rule by the rules that, nobody else plays by did he kill politics or was he just the one who rubbed it in our face that it was already dead no i think he definitely exacerbated it i i think that there's a lot of behavior and again you could argue that we were on that decline for a while now and and granted you could go all the way back to newt gingrich you could go through um you know sarah palin there's a lot that you can point to and say that and as far as our politics itself we were headed this direction but he definitely gave green light and empowered people to take it many steps further. I I don't think without Trump, you wouldn't have, uh, you know, you wouldn't have people um, acting out in public places against mask mandates the way that they were, or punching other people in the face, (laughs) or, you know, the behavior we've seen on the airlines where we've seen record assaults against flight attendants. You think Trump's overall behavior and power contributes to that. I, yeah, I, I agree with it's that. It's the it's the overall coarsening of the discourse and the tone and this idea that anything goes. Um that there, you know, it's uh the ends justify the means. As long as you believe what you're doing is right, uh you can take it as far as you need to. And Trump was a performative president, sure. right? I mean, he came from a show business background and that's how he treated the presidency. And so nothing was too outrageous, nothing was too crazy, and he exemplified that. And you see that, you know, others in Congress may have taken on uh, polarizing rhetoric before Trump, but they took it to a whole new level after he gave license to them to follow in his footsteps. And now you have a whole class of politicians, Matt Gates, Marjorie Taylor Greene, that that's all they do. I mean, it's just it's using social media to inflame all day long. They don't care about legislation at all or about governing, and that's all they do 24-7. So it's getting to um, a place where that becomes not only the norm but pervasive, where you know it was around before was a problem, but it wasn't all extensive and all pervasive like it is now. And I, I forget we had, and I don't think we mentioned this last week, but Senator Bob Dole passed yeah. um, a couple w- weeks ago, um, and he exemplified that old style of politics, right? Work across the aisle, get things done. He helped pass the Americans with Disabilities Act, um, you know, shored up Social Security. He was that old style politician, and you look back and now, and you're like, oh, there's no way a Bob Dole would survive in today's atmosphere. I mean, no. he could get elected he, in Kansas. Even in today. Kansas, he couldn't get elected no. right now. Uh, he, he just he, that would not happen. But so, um, but again, Bob Dole, you know, was in the Senate for decades, and I think his he ended up leaving the Senate in ninety eight, uh, around 90, 1998. Um, but again, we get these reminders every now and then. Usually, when someone's passing away, just like we did with John McCain, you know, that um, you know this isn't how it always was. But we seem to, I think, have hit a point where uh, it's at its worst. And again. And it doesn't matter that Trump isn't at the forefront because I think that there's plenty of people that are willing to take the torch and continue yeah. it regardless of whether Trump's on the scene or not. 
I think the analogy that I like is when, when Trump came into politics and won the, the presidency, things were broken, but they were broken big pieces. It's like you ever like drop a vase and it breaks into five big chunks. And there's like the old um, uh, uh, Brady Bunch episode when Bobby tries to glue the vase back together that they broke with the basketball. Oh, of yeah. course, it's all shitty and it springs water and everybody knows it. Trump, Trump found politics broken, but it was broken into big sections. And I think what Trump did was he took those big sections and just ground them into dust. He had a choice to make. He could have tried to piece some stuff back together. And I think instead, Trump just stomped them into, there are certain parts now that are not going to go back together. And my evidence of this is the current crop of, of Republicans in the House. Yeah. I mean, the people that you just mentioned, you don't get that crop of politicians who to your point, are only there to brand build or are only there to build kind of their own personal brand. They're not there to, to legislate or to do anything for, for, for the country. You only get that after Trump completely destroys some of the norms and institutions that he did. So I think in what I expected in 2021 with the Biden administration coming in, I thought those pieces were still big enough that we could half-ass glue something back together. And I think where I'm sitting at is maybe those pieces are a little bit smaller and maybe the path to getting them back isn't there anymore. Because I'm a, I'm a huge believer that, that the, the Republicans are going to win back the House in 2022. And now they're going to put into action some of these things that you see Matt Gates and Marjorie Taylor Greene talking about. So we're, we're not very far off from seeing the the fruits of the Trump presidency kind of come to fruition in Congress in 2022 when the Republicans take back. Oh, over. completely. I mean, you know, Kevin McCarthy has already given notice to federal agencies in the yeah. administration that to save all the documents because they're going to start investigations left and right on. And that's whole, not the path. That's not the path I thought we would go down right. in 2021. I thought there would at least be. I'm not saying there'd be a complete healing moment where the country would come back together, but there would at least be some recognition of things like that and people like that don't help us and no. that we need to move past them. And instead of that, it seems like that set of people, the people that are following in Trump's circumstances, are Trump's kind of following in his wake, following the path that he laid down, these are the people that feel like they're going to gain power in 2022. And if there's another if there's another phase of this shift coming, it's going to happen after the midterms. And 2021 did nothing to slow that down. No, it didn't. I mean, if the House Republican caucus seems extreme now, which it is, it can get huh. much more extreme. I mean, yeah. it's not. <laughs> and it, I mean, think about it. I mean, the last remaining moderate holdouts you have are likely not going to return. You look at like, I mean, Adam Kinzinger, who's not running again, yeah. Liz Cheney, um, who faces a very difficult primary up in Wyoming. And the way that the primaries are going, I mean, it's all these Trump acolytes on the House and the Senate side. I mean, there's some states like you look at Ohio, the entire uh, field in Ohio is, is brutal. I mean, batshit crazy. So if they win, I think the Republicans will win somewhere between 25 and 65 seats. It really just all depends on how kooky they get with candidates. Right. And can the Democrats stick anything to them on, on the one There's still commission. an opportunity in some of these states for Republicans to Todd Aiken themselves. True. Um, and True. A, a good uh, area where that could happen is Missouri with, uh, if Greitens would get the nomination. God. I mean, <laughs> they'd be the Todd Aiken so of 2022. Let's just say for easy math, the, 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 the Republicans take 30 seats. We'll split yeah. the difference. It's a big win, but, but it's not a blowout. How many of those people map to Matt Gates, Marjorie Taylor Greene, Bo Burt, and that insane crowd? And how many people map into the center of the Republican Party? My guess is two-thirds of those 30 seats that they win, so we're talking 20-ish seats, are going to be filled by people that would co-sign something from Marjorie Taylor Greene and Matt Gates. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, and the center of the party has changed drastically in the last couple of years. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think it would be a very tiny, if not dwindling number that don't, because you have to keep in mind, too, that um, whatever swing districts are left, and there's not going to be that many left after this round of redistricting. That's a good point. Uh, yeah. The untold story of 2021 is the loss of swing districts in America, uh, because they're almost, they've been drawn out of existence almost, for the most part. So, 
that's another story. But the few that are left, you know, most likely Republicans are going to have very, uh, di- a very difficult challenge holding those districts, and they've already lost many of them. So they're left with those ruby red districts where they have the ability to go as crazy as possible yeah. without any consequence. And they're going to get crazy. Yeah. I mean, I think... I'm hoping what happens that, again, is after the 2022 midterms and the Republicans do have this win, people will look at who got elected and say, huh, is that really the direction we think the Republican Party needs to go in? How many more – I guess – and maybe this is silly on my part, but I'm under the illusion that five Marjorie Taylor Greens is worse than one, and people will recognize that, that Marjorie Taylor Greene is not somebody that you need to be multiplying in Congress right now. No, not at all, and I think it's been somewhat easy by some on the right to write her off right now because – and say, well, she's just one person. She's one of 435 but the the problem is that there are many in the wings that are like her that are coming up, and there's many that are already running and look to her. And let's not forget that Marjorie Taylor Greene is the most prolific uh, fundraiser in the House Republican She Congress. raises a ton. She raises a ton of money, which also tells you where the base of the party is right now, which also doesn't inspire confidence. And Marjorie Taylor Greene is using that. She is going around the country on this tour with Matt Gaetz, <laughs> raising money, speaking— um, bo- uh, bolstering the candidacies of particular candidates that align with her. So none of this is in a vacuum. And so she could end up wielding immense power. And, you know, Kevin McCarthy has, you know, bent over backwards accommodating people like Marjorie yeah. Taylor Greene and Matt Gates. He could get more extreme, but yet he's still nervous because he doesn't feel like he has his right flank shored up even now after all of he's done. As he shouldn't. Yeah. I guess I'm old enough to know that if you have expectations of politicians, you're going to get disappointed. Right. But I also had some expectations of of Americans that maybe we could spot the grift in 2021. What's amazed me about the last four years and 2020 with Trump's performance in some of the uh, in some of his press conferences for COVID really was how how the grift had become part of the day to day presentation of politics and. It had gotten past the point of it becoming grotesquely obvious years ago that this is obvious an attempt to make money or to self-promote or to do something more than what's good for the country. Right. I thought with Trump maybe exiting stage, maybe maybe we'd had our fill of that because I'm, I'm not convinced that the American people are so stupid that they don't know this is a grift. That it's all a grift, but it's just giving the finger to the right people, and that's why they're they're willing to go along with it. To I'm willing to be fleeced it. on something that I know is an obvious scam if Brandon's my political enemy and it makes him mad. I, I thought we had reached the end of that. Apparently, our appetite for that has not been filled yet. No, and so the question is, what will it take? That's I mean, a good what point. Is rock what's bottom gonna, for <laughs> what's our rock bottom point? Yeah, and it's it's sad to say it almost it's almost like there needs to be some type of crisis to occur, yeah, and then for the American people to see how that uh, grifter crowd is woefully unable to respond to that crisis and to manage and handle it and and find a solution for them to say okay we screwed up and to be uh, course correct in the next election cycle that's almost what needs to happen because absent of that. As long as we continue to skate along, I don't know what happens because we were able to do so during the, the Trump presidency, and um, you know we we had a minor course correction, but not enough. And the problem still is you have a large segment of the population that seems to be okay with that, you know, because again, it's this like burn it down mentality, and you know we're willing to you know we like what they say even if they can't govern, and so we'll go along with it because it makes us feel good. And when does I, I think that's well said. We'll go along with it because it makes me feel good. I thought that wave was just about ready to crash. We are all ready to get back to maybe more more seriousness in our in our politics. 2021 did not deliver on that at, at all. No, and if there was any indication that that was going to happen, and there's one specific thing you can look at to see whether or not the tea leaves would change, and they haven't, and it's on um, the number of Republican candidates that adopt the language around the big lie. And the fact is you still have so many candidates around the country that are running on that and saying the election was rigged. It was stolen from Trump. You still have 
almost half of the entire base of the Republican Party in the United States that believes the election was stolen. You had a week ago a primary a gubernatorial primary debate on the Republican side in Georgia and where the incumbent governor, Brian Kemp, is being challenged by a Trump-endorsed person. Not to <laughs> Purdue. Right. right, but and you have... Um, in the entire stage at this debate uh, bought into the big lie. And so, and you're seeing this in many of these uh, primary debates that are happening in districts and in states around the country. So you have this whole crop of candidates that has refused to give that up. And if there was any indication that the grifting was going to stop, it would be on that alone. Uh, but candidates are embracing that because it means Trump support. It means money yeah. and so means let, a path let, to power. Let's unpack what you just said. So David Perdue was a sitting senator in Georgia. And a sitting Republican senator in Georgia should be on glide path to reelection almost every right. year. Okay. So this was the one that – so what, what, why did he have to go past the – okay, the um, – I'm going through the Georgia Senate election. Are we going back to January? Yeah, the, yeah, nobody got the over the November, 50%, yeah, so, so they Georgia had to do the runoff. runoff. Right, so okay. he was just under 50%, so they had the, the runoff in January. So yeah. so you were you were sitting comfortably, then Trump happens. Trump puts you in a spot that you can't get over the 50%. In between the election and the runoff, January 6th happens, right? Because the right. election was like the 7th or 8th. There's the there's the January sixth, and then there's that well, no, horrible rally. Well, the election was the day before January sixth, so January sixth was, was the Wednesdays, fifth. and the election was okay. the fifth. Okay, and so we knew the results Wednesday morning when the insurrection happened. I'm getting lost in facts, but my overall point <laughs> here is that David Perdue was a sitting senator who had his seat snatched out underneath him by Trump being an ignoramus, right? And to reward Trump for acting like a complete dick and costing him that Senate seat, all David Perdue is doing now is primarying Brian Kemp as the Trump-endorsed big lie candidate. What the fuck is happening 2021? Yeah. That's, that's perfectly, for all that babbling I just did, that's the bullshit that I thought was going to stop in 2021. And it that hasn't. David Perdue, who is a, is a successful businessman. I mean, he was a businessman before he got into, into, uh, into politics. That this grown adult millionaire former senator man is willing to do all of this just to grab the power tee one last time. Uh, it's so despicable. And I did misspeak earlier because I said the gubernatorial debate. It was the Senate debate in Georgia where all of the candidates were on board with a big lie just like Purdue is for the – gubernatorial yeah. election but it's the same on the senate side too so all of the republican senate hopefuls that are running against Raphael warnock who won yeah. you know that um uh, the senate seat against uh, kelly loffler the other one that was up since democrats won both of them same thing they're all in on the big lie and it's like what does it take you guys lost two senate seats in georgia that I mean, he directly <laughs> cost you right and now you're running as his manager what why? What? Trump lost Georgia, and the two Republicans lost their Senate seats in Georgia. That should have sent a very strong message that, you know, the general electorate doesn't like this crap. I mean, it may play well for your base, but it's not going to win. The biggest thing the election. that I thought 2021 would bring to us was in some ways a return to accountability. I'm like, Brandon, somebody's got to be held accountable for something that happened. Somebody's got to be held. We, we collectively have to point at something and say, we are holding this person or this institution or picket responsible for something. We're going to hold somebody accountable for their actions. Massive disappointment in 2021. Yeah. And David Perdue brings this up that not only is he not going to hold Trump accountable for his actions in Georgia, he's going to grift off that to try to get back into power. Brandon, what 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 chance as Americans do we have if that's our political elite? Where are we going if that's the political elite? That when David Perdue can't look at Trump and say, oh, for the love of God, would you just go away? Nobody needs you anymore. Nobody knows that more than David Perdue. Right. And he jumped right back in bed with him. For what? It's A so shitty Senate seat? Yeah. Why? The love of power. I mean, again, we, we've talked about what compels uh, these people to stay in office as long as they do or to seek power. And, and David Perdue, I believe, is like 68 or 69. Anyway, sure so he's he is. No he's an chicken. old dude. He's, but he wants power, and he's willing to do whatever it takes to get that power. He's 68, and he goes home and sleeps on a giant mattress of money. Yeah. And he's decided to get back in with Trump. We have no chance.
We have no chance in it. I just, you said burn it down. I was talking to somebody, I remember in 2016 after Trump won, somebody we both know who's very smart. And he just said, we just need to burn everything down. And I got in an argument with him saying, that's not a positive way to look at it. Yeah, that's not how you govern. These institutions, I could be convinced we're at the burn it all down stage. Yeah. I don't don't know where 2021 did not seem to, to right size or stabilize a lot from, from my perspective and was very disappointing. Oh, completely. It was. And so I think we're still on this path where, too, where we see that easily, I mean, we can see democracy eroding. And you have Trump that's riding the presidential polls in 2024 high. And so it feels like this could all be a momentary blip and we could be right back where we were, you know, in the last four years um, again uh, by next November and then two years after that. (laughs) It just it seems like. The, the course correction we thought we were getting was only a temporary blip on the radar, and it really – the problem is the attitudes have not changed. Was 2021 successfully successful economically? I, I, I guess I, I have trouble with from 2016 to 2020, all we heard out of Trump is that the economy is roaring at a level it's never roared before. I don't know if that was true. But the yeah. economy was, by all measurements, the economy was doing was doing good. Does it feel that way now? I I can't well, I can't put my finger on. No, it. I part of it is we have the impact of inflation, highest in forty years, yeah. which is still playing out. We have the um, supply uh, chain um, issues that haven't been resolved. Now, if you look, it's so it's a mixed picture. But on some areas, yes, like employment, we're finally back to pre-pandemic levels of employment in the economy, which is great. So that's good news. Um, In fact, it's the opposite problem, right? Like, I mean, there's not enough um, labor. You know, there's a labor shortage. And so that's what uh, employers are grappling with as far as that goes. So that is good news, um, and salaries are going up, wages are on the increase, but so is inflation, and inflation has already outpaced salaries much more quickly. So it, it's a mixed bag. In some aspects, we're, we're closer to where we were before the pandemic, but on others, we're not, and we're waiting for that to uh, materialize. And, and so that's why there isn't, I think, anything you can say in 2021 and say, Okay, well, that was a marked improvement or 100% improvement. We've had, you know, marginal gains, marginal losses in each of these areas. uh, And that's that's kind of where we are, kind of, I think, as we end the year. Um, Now, if you look at as far as the economy grows, long-term growth forecast into next year looks really good, um, you know, assuming we don't have anything else crazy. So that that's good news, um, you know, but uh, but yeah, 2021 was this kind of, I think, continuation, somewhat of a continuation of 2020, but to a lesser extent. And why why is it in 2021? Nobody really explained early on, hey, these supply chain and inflation problems are coming. This is basic economics. Prepare the country for it. Yeah. yeah. It, this isn't a spigot, the economy, that we're just going to turn back on, well, especially with COVID hanging around. It's yeah. going to take some time. And why did, I mean, it seemed to me like the administration was late in terms of using its executive authority to like intervene, like in like the port of LA and some yeah. of these areas where yeah. they could mandate and say, we're going to send in the National Guard to unload containers, like things like that, where you have these containers, I mean, just stockpiling and build yeah. it up. Like at some point, like leadership right, right. I mean, there was no real strategy for that and there wasn't yeah had, we had to know that was coming i would think right i yeah i i, I think so I know, I know there were people that were warning about it you know last year i mean well into the fall so that's yeah and, and it, just by virtue of how this all played out right i mean when the pandemic happened and everything came to a standstill i mean those production lines were all cut uh, you know yeah. they everything stopped and you can't just flip a switch to get them going again. It takes rental a while. companies sold all their fleet. It yeah. takes time to get to get things back. Yeah, it takes months and months. And so again, but I th- there was nobody to prepare the American people for that to set those expectations. And I think in absence of that, there just was a lack of leadership. I mean, it, not unlike the lack of communication as it related to COVID and explaining, you know, how vaccines worked and why they mattered and, and cutting through the media clutter of, 
you know, I think uh, case counts and people that were testing positive who had been vaccinated and what that all meant, because at the end of the day, what matters is hospitalizations and deaths and and getting to a place where this it becomes endemic because it is it's going to be an endemic virus we live with and it's a matter of having the treatments we need inpatient um outpatient and then the preventative vaccines that will allow us to live with this like we do the flu and other diseases and i think that was a that was a a something that sounded good on the campaign trail that was going to be impossible if you got into governing, which when is Biden stopping going to stop. stop the virus. Yeah. That, that's not going to happen. I understand that as a campaign slogan, but the problem is, to your point, really the slogan was pivot to endemic. Right. Hey, folks, this is just going to be like a weird strain of the flu that's really weird for old folks, and we're just going to have to learn to live with it. That's not a very good political message during the middle of a campaign, and it no. mirrored too much of Trump's approach. Well, right, and part of the problem is neither Trump administration nor Biden, but especially now, like has pivoted from early on the pandemic, there was this thought that we could – obliterate the virus like we could just you know i think uh be able to remove it from daily life like how we did with sars cov one sure. um clearly we have passed that time long long time ago like that's not going to happen and and based on how this spreads that was likely never going to happen very different than sars cov one but again the messaging has a change to okay we're not going to ever beat this back it's about mitigation efforts and living with it and getting to a point where we know that it will continue to circulate. But, hey, we also know from uh, epidemiology that viruses like this, particularly coronaviruses, when they circulate, over time they become less severe. And so the severity will hopefully mm-hmm. continue to wane as the variants continue to evolve. And it'll get to the point where we have all these treatments available, but it'll also be kind of like a minor setback. Nobody has talked about that. Nobody has talked about how the common cold, which is a coronavirus, hundreds of years ago used to kill people and used to make people severely sick. And today it causes a runny nose. Like that's where we're hoping to go. But instead, all the talk has been on just defeat COVID, um, which you can't ever do. And there's no baseline for measuring that anyway. And I think the NFL is the first organization I've heard of. They're going to stop testing everybody. They're going to only test if you have symptoms. Yeah. Because with Omicron, everybody's going to get it. Right. So we can't It's so function. transmissible. Yeah. yeah. We, the NFL has made a decision. We cannot function if the criteria for not participating in the sport is you're positive. So I think what they're going to do is just change to only testing if you have symptoms. Right. Which seems to make, seems to make sense. It feels like that's where we're at right now. Yeah, getting rid of the virus altogether, that's not going to happen. No. It's a new phase of the game. We need to start managing to what phase we're And again, in. because this reminder is needed, like over the weekend here in Kansas City, there was a report on the hospital um, uh, filling up again, many of the area healthcare systems, ICUs, yeah. um, and lack of bed space with uh, COVID patients. And most of these articles, though, didn't provide the context that matters. How many of those are vaccinated versus unvaccinated? Well, when you dig through the numbers, and I went through every hospital system in the Kansas City area, all of them were from on a range of 84% to um, 95% were unvaccinated, which tells you everything you need to know and why this is an issue. Um, And so, again, it's just... I think part of the problem, too, is that the media is going to report every case, every breakthrough infection, whether or not it's significant, whether or not it's even symptomatic for that person. But what matters at the end of the day is that vaccinations keep people out of the hospital. They free up bed space so the people that have cancer and have other illnesses and they need to use the hospital system for whatever means and they need a bed, they're going to be able to get it. Uh, and that's what it should be about. And that's what the messaging should pivot to. Yeah. Uh, and I do think it, eventually we're going to have to get to a place, too, where we don't treat um, everybody the same. Yes. Like, <laughs> yes. if you're vaccinated, you can't, be, you know, I, you shouldn't have to follow the same protocols as someone who's unvaccinated. I, I when it comes to mask wearing yeah. and talks about going out and, and all of but, this. Because the difference is the risk is much less um, and minimal if you're vaccinated. So that should open more doors. And the problem is when we treat everybody the same, we dilute the messaging on vaccines yeah. and people start to question well why should i get vaccinated and, if i have to follow the same rules everybody has, else does? hasn't been this been the problem from day one how do you communicate subtlety to the american people when it's a when it's a function potentially of life and death in public health 
Yeah. How can you tell the American people with where we're at now, this person is going to be treated differently than you? Because no, as soon as you go right there, why? Why is that? Why do I have that? It's just the reason why, because I was always confused with why hasn't that data been clearly presented to the American people? Right. And I think what, what the issue is, is that when you're playing in the public health space and your goal is to get 300 million people vaccinated, you just take out every solution except vaccination. Yeah. That, that's what the government, that's their role in this. That, that's the needed role and that's the role that they, that they played. I think the, what the pandemic did in 2020, which got worse in 21, culturally, we're, if you had to describe America's culture right now, how would you even, how would you take a swipe at that? I'm not even sure where I'd start. Well, I, I think first and foremost, I don't know that the difficulty lies in that. I don't know what unites us, what common thread, yeah. you know, or is, you know, you could point to. That was something you could always, I think, in past decades and years, point to something that was unifying. Uh, so, going back to your point that we've been on this slide for a while. Uh, something that's contributed to that is the lack of civic engagement among Americans, right? So, um, you know, associations like Rotary Clubs and Kiwanis Clubs yeah. have all been in the decline for a long time. So we don't have those in-person bridge-building uh, uh, elements that where people can talk and find out what they have in common and, and feel like they're part of this greater good. Uh, and, and now we have these silos that are multiplied by the thousands online where, you know, people who have the most extremist or conspiratorial minded viewpoint find others like them. And they feel like that is the norm and that that is the truth and it gets amplified. And, and so it becomes very difficult because there's no rational conversations happening peer to peer among people of yeah. different beliefs because it's all happening in these silos and it reminded me of an article that I found. Brandon, over he's the in switching it to papers. <laughs> so, um, about this echo chamber that's being built on the far right wing um, with all of these different um, apps and media outlets. So, you have the Daily Wire, you have Blaze TV, mm. you have some of those Newsmax, OANN, but you also have uh, the um, other components of that. Like, you have the apps like Gitter, you know, you have cloud storage. There's now a specific. Um, cloud storage company called Rightforge, which is specific to Jeez. the Trump crowd um, to give them a place to go. There's also a new cryptocurrency being developed specifically for the MAGA crowd called MAGA Coin, so they can use their own cryptocurrency. There's a new Freedom Phone device that's being marketed to conservatives so they can have their own device it's, as well. Um, a new book publishing company that's going to be dedicated to propagating the, the MAGA line um, called Winning Team Publishing. So that's, I mean, where we're headed, I mean, essentially, is that, uh, you know, you, everybody is kind of uh, being siloed into their own networks with their own devices, with their own online portals and their own communities. And so what is the common thread? It makes it difficult to find one. Yeah. And I think the 2020, the pandemic, basically, I think it, it fractured a lot of those bonds that were already being stressed. Yeah. People don't join the Rotary Club, the Kiwanis Club, the KC Club. Uh, church uh, attendance is down dramatically uh, across the board. We're losing those those cultural ties that that make us a community. Right. And I think 2020 and COVID really kind of drove the stake in, into that. Yeah, with the, everybody being forced at home. The lack yeah. of trust of people. I, I'm always entertained now with the... Um, you see these surveys all the time, you know, 80% of Democrats say they wouldn't date a Trump supporter and, right. you know, 53% said they wouldn't want a Trump person a as a neighbor. Somehow COVID, the vaccine and Trump now are the three primary lenses that a lot of people see the world through. And they're placing you and making judgments on other people and other communities based on how they relate to those three different different items. Well, and there was somebody in my network just today on Facebook, um, again, on the right side, but not crazy right, who was lamenting the fact that, again, the pandemic became so politicized and the fact that vaccines have become yeah. so politicized when this should be a no-brainer. I mean, in prior health emergencies and pandemics, I mean, going back um, hundreds of years— they were not politicized. It was like, this is just the science. Here's the solution. And that was it. I mean, it did it become a barometer of whether or not you were right, left, Republican, Democrat, 
you know, Trump aligned or not Trump aligned, but that's where we are today. I mean, it's completely a badge of honor. And that's why you have conservatives, you know, people coming out bragging and boasting that they'll never get vaccinated. Uh, Sarah Palin being the latest <laughs> one over the weekend. And it's just, it's stunning to me that that's where we're at. And, and again, it goes back to your point. I don't know. There is no short-term easy solution for coming back from that. It was a cultural change to get here. It's going to be a cultural change to get out of here as well. Uh, you know, I mean, part of that will happen in time just with generation change and generations rising up. Um, and so, but yeah, it's not going to be, it's not going to be tomorrow. It's not going to be two years well, from now. And in the middle of all of this cultural tension based on the pandemic, then we had the, the largest civil rights protest in the country since the civil war, the, the, with what happened with, with George Floyd and right in right. the middle of all of this, we get this huge reminder that in a lot of ways, America is not the country that we think it is. His, its history is not the history we, we exactly think it is. And maybe we're a lot farther off than where we think we are when it comes to racial issues. Right. And we just really didn't have, in the middle of everything with the pandemic, it felt like we, we weren't in the right mental space to really process that the best way we could. And then we had the whole riot versus protester summer. And I mean, it's this function of my age and my generation. I, I'm a law and order guy. You can, you can protest whatever you want. Second someone with those a brick, everyone's going to jail. It, right. you're, you just participated in a riot. Riots in this country go get, get put down. Yeah, it was that anarchy component too, which I think frayed uh, you know, bonds, yeah. any bonds that existed. And it, well. was, it was how that was presented too that these people had some sort of legitimate right to destroy property and burn businesses down. That's not, that's not the America I've ever grown up in or, or recognized. What, why does somebody, I mean, I said this on one of our podcasts in 2020, I stopped saying, I can't think of a single reason someone should own an AR 15. After I saw the police in multiple cities pull out of urban areas and let crowds basically destroy businesses. That's something in America that just just shouldn't happen. I think that was another thing that right right in the middle of where we're trying to process the pandemic, all of the stuff that happened around George Floyd and the three or four other incidences that we're, we're seeing working out in trials right now, all of that happened. And it doesn't feel like we stopped and paused to kind of give that the analysis that it deserves. We immediately just went into one crowd said America sucks. Everybody's a white supremacist and racist. Everything needs to get burned down. One crowd was, this is America. We're all great. We're all good. None of this matters. And it just, it just seems like we just, we're still stuck in that same space. There's well, that no also path occurred forward. in the midst of a, you know, extremely polarizing election cycle too. Yeah, so very true. It, it became caught up through that political lens. And so, no, we didn't dissect it because we mainly moved into the presidential election. We're not dissecting anything these days, it looks like. No. It looks like, hey, we're just going to take a swift pass over this. Everybody, you know, tie this into whatever narrative you're preaching, and we're just going to move on. Yeah, I think that's kind of exactly where we're at. I mean, we don't take time to kind of reflect and uh, retrospective on anything. It's just... You know, we something said, and then we move on to the next thing. Yeah. And I think it also gives license to people to feel like they don't have accountability because they know that True. something else is going to come along in the news cycle and they can just skate by. This is a great point, Brandon. If I could just hold on for 48 hours or 72 hours, I'm probably good. Yeah. If I can get past that, everyone's going to forget I did something anyway. Right. So the Build Back Better bill got shot down this week. It officially died. That's been something that's been with us all of 2021. And this is, this is being presented as one man, Joe Manchin, you know, went against the grain and defied the wishes of his party. And, and if you listen to the White House, the American people somehow thought they were negotiating with him in good faith and then did this dramatic thing on Fox over the weekend where he said, I'm not voting for that. I, I don't know. I don't think Manchin was ever going to vote for Build Back Better. Maybe not, but I think the frustration is running high, and rightfully so, that he strung them along for so long. Because he did indicate that you know, he would be willing to support a bill that was pared down. So all of the negotiations that happened up until this point were done to get his sign-on and his approval. 
And, you know, from paring down the actual cost to removing things like paid leave, like all of that was done based on the signals that he was sending out and sound bites he was making in front of the cameras every day. And he was indicating that he still wanted to find a solution. And so, you know, he was meeting with Senate leaders. He was meeting with Biden at his home on the weekend. And so to have it come to this, and I think the way it went down was also, um, you know, pretty shitty, you know, because it was an hour before he was going on Fox News to announce it. He had a staffer call the White House to tell him, like, he wouldn't even call them directly himself because he didn't want to give them the news. So, you know, and the White House understandably took a very terse um, uh, response and said that, you know, well, this is contrary to, you know, the, the tone and what he had indicated up until this point. Which is true, and but but you're right. I mean, there's probably something to be said for, you know, he was never really kind of negotiating no. good faith anyway. Like this was all kind of just well, a ploy. Did you read any public comments from Joe Manchin that led you to believe he was going to vote for this bill? No, I haven't seen a single one. Well, no, not in its no. current state. But but again, the party reacted by paring it down and trimming it to like his. You know, specifications based on what he conveyed, he wanted to see what could get his support. And so to think that at the end of the day, they could continue to do that, but no matter what, it would never get his support. That is a different message entirely than what he said in the beginning. I think what we're seeing here is a function, too, of Joe Biden's age and his what his energy level is right now. Joe Biden can negotiate one on one with a senator in his house. He, he's capable of doing that. Brandon, why did the why did Biden never put boots down on West Virginia and appeal directly to the West Virginia people? Why, why did if this is so important, if this is his legacy, if this is something that he believes in, and Joe Manchin is in my way, why don't I go directly to the people Joe Manchin is accountable to and tell them why they should vote for this? I don't know. That seems like the first logical move to make. Yeah, I mean, he could have done that, and that might have been the move to make at the very end now, kind of where we are. But again, I think he was trying to do this dance with Manchin, too, and not upset him. I get that, Um, but my point is, I think he did that because that's all he's capable of doing. He can sit down one-on-one and talk to Joe Manchin. Could he do a seven-stop barnstorming tour through West Virginia for a solid month to get people on his side? right. I see what you're saying. Where's the 25 minute? I'm the president. I get to go on TV whenever I want across all channels explaining the Build Back Better bill. Well, and where, where was that? And again, I think, again, some there was some misplaced focus on only focusing on Cinnamon Mansion here. There's no Republican votes for this bill. Why not pressure some of those Republicans? Give it a shot. Go into their districts or states. Um, Ohio. You know, another, a blue-collar state that would benefit from this. Um, you know, look at the map, Pennsylvania. I mean, some of these states that have incumbent Republican senators and go and lay the pressure on and, you know, and run ads in those states. Sure. Let them feel the heat. Do that. Maybe engage in some behind-the-scenes negotiations with somebody like Lisa Murkowski, who might be willing to support something, but at least, like, have a one-on-one with her and say, hey, is there any way that we could get you to come over here? Is there any... I mean, the old-fashioned deal-making, right? I mean, that was what Biden was used I to thought... be good at. I mean, he's from that era. And, you know, there's been a lot of talk about returning to something like that. I mean, that's the normal politicking that we used to always have. For a bill that the White House has told me for almost a year now was so important, they put very little effort into convincing me that it was needed. Yeah. They put very little effort into convincing the American people that it was needed. And they missed a golden opportunity coming off the pandemic to get two or three really needed priority things done by this whole shoot the moon process. And now we're going to see what Biden's legacy truly is going to be. Is he going to be Bill Clinton? Is he going to realize, hey, the, the country's running more center than, than I think. I'm going to tack back to the center. Or is he just going to keep pounding down the same path he's trying to pound down? And I'm, I'm starting to, to believe Biden's path forward is being limited by what Biden can do. Yeah. Not saying that he's lost his mind, he's insane and all of that, but just at, at 78, he has some tools in his toolkit that they have to use, and that's all you got. Right. Because I think a younger, more energetic president could have done more boots on the ground to try to get – could you see Barack Obama trying to sell Build Back Better? He'd be phenomenal Oh, all over, it. yeah. And I think that's, 
that's what I think that's Biden's limiting factor. Yeah. Is the energy level that he has to go out and try to convince people in mass that he's right. And part of it too, because he's 78 and I can say this cause I'm getting older too. Every year you put on is the more you don't want to talk to people. The more it's like, I know I'm right. I've done this before. Just do it. Right. And I think that's the part of Biden's presidency that people didn't see coming. And that's kind of where he's at. And that's, that's and why he doesn't where he's at really right now. have like a surrogate right now who just, he doesn't cause is, he can't cause Kamala Harris is such a damn disaster. Oh uh, yeah. That's a whole nother topic. Yeah. I mean, what if he, he just pulled somebody out and said, this is going to be my, it's not Harris. Right. You, you can't, you, you can't, can't do, do that. that. You'd be sidelining her. Yeah. He's, but he's painted himself. The Democrats have painted themselves into a pretty decent sized corner with Kamala Harris that it'll be interesting to see how they unpack that. Yeah. That, I think that's gonna be one of the stories we watch next year to see if there's any fig leaves, any signs of, you know, anything changing on that front. I'm always amazed with, Somebody gets a position, it doesn't go very well, and everybody comes out the woodwork and said, wow, if you just would have asked, I don't know, anybody, they could have told you not to do this. I'm thinking of Kamala Harris. I'm also thinking in football, Urban Meyer got fired this week from the Jacksonville Jaguars. He was just a, I mean, very, very heralded college coach, one of the greatest college coaches of all time. Right. Apparently was also a massive dick yeah. to, I don't know, every human being he's ever come into contact with. And it's been now three or four days of every person who gets in front of a microphone on TV says, oh, if they would have told me, I'd have told you what an asshole Urban Meyer was. Well, <laughs> why didn't somebody say why that? Why didn't somebody speak up? 10, 15, 20 years ago. Yeah. It's still, I don't know, to, to wrap up our, our 2021 kind of end of year, what's your... I guess what what needs to be different in 2022, you think, for things to get better? If we said, hey, we, 2020, we're not going to talk about 2020. 21 was maybe a minor step up to kind of really hockey stick and get better in 2022. What, what has to happen? Well, we need to all listen to each other a lot more. Yeah. Uh, we need, I think everybody needs to have more patience because a lot of the just societal issues you see with people blowing up at each other and, you know, pulling out guns and just assaulting each other is with, um, lack of patience and this idea that somehow like everything should be driven by individual, you know, desire and need at that time. And so that's, that's a big aspect of it. I think, uh, culturally and politically, uh, we need somebody to to step up. Um, you know, clearly there's a leadership void in all three branches of government. Um, it could easily be filled if you had one reasonable voice took it upon themselves to to be that person to speak the truth and speak it in a powerful way and and act as an alternative. Um, so I would like to see somebody or um, several people step up to do that. Uh, you know, that's, we haven't had that. And so that's been a big contributor to our problems this year. And didn't feel like we're not capable of doing that ourselves right now. There's just no, I, I don't know. There's no, what mechanism needs to be more utilized for us to communicate more and trust each other more. I, I guess I keep coming back to the, 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 the primary organizing principle for all societies and cultures up to this point has been religion. Yeah. It's only been in the last 75-ish years that really around the globe, religion is broke down as as the way that people build community and kind of make that kind of community mosaic and pattern together. It's how you meet people. It's how your neighbors, it's how you build that community. And it feels like we have not replaced that. And no, we we're replacing it now with stuff like politics, entertainment, celebrity and i don't know how any of that cycle gets broke no because that's all superficial it's fleeting and and it's not anything that's long lasting how can you take something and and i'm not a religious person i'm an atheist i'm not making a pitch for religion here but just as a as a as a society as the thing that kind of builds community the most or traditionally is built it the most dies out something has to step into that into that vacuum and I think what we're seeing is politics, economics, social media, they're all competing for what occupies that space. And so far, Brandon, I don't, I'm terrified of all of the winners. Yeah. I don't care what wins. It just feels like it, it's going to come with some, some consequences. To and it. the conversations need to happen offline. And uh, we clearly online is not a place to have those types of 
conversations, they devolve. And so we need to find some happy medium or get back to a place where people are talking, you know, in person directly at each other. They're not in a comment thread, you know, trying to quickly think about the next way to one up what somebody else said. How about just return to privacy in 2022? Don't put all your shit out online. Yeah, that's a good one. How about you do everybody just pull back a little bit. Nobody needs to know what you're doing every minute of, of every day. Right. What about consumerism? What if we just spent 10%? Do you really need that? Right. Prioritize what matters. Just don't buy one thing a month that you don't need. Would that make things better? I don't know. At least maybe you'd think about it a little bit. It does remind me of a story I saw about um, excess because uh, a lot of the department stores close their fitting rooms. A lot of people buy clothes online now. And then they end up returning a lot of those clothes. And a lot of those returns, because companies have arcane and archaic systems for processing them, like 90 to 95% of them don't ever go back on store shelves or in the stores like or, or in, I guess, the factory warehouses for repurchase. Many of them go into the landfill. And so we have this just like epic um, issue of landfills being filled with, in many cases, like new clothing because companies don't have the ability apparently or time to track it and and they just throw it away. I've got an idea. Why don't you make a package that I don't have to goddamn destroy and almost cut all 10 of my fingers off with a butcher knife to get a razor out of? Oh, yeah. That could be another reason why. Brandon, I buy a lot of things now that I have to work with that I, I mess up and destroy and have to return <laughs> back like to Home Depot and stuff. I can tell you, they will take anything back. But a lot of times things are in that state simply because they packaged it in a way that oh, there's yeah. no freaking way to open the open, damn yeah. thing. I, I hate that, especially with electronics. That used to be always the case. They yeah. were in that hard plastic packaging that, I mean, you had to use heavy-duty like scissors to even cut into the packaging. And It's a safety hazard sometimes yeah. trying to get into the damn thing. Right. Are you doing anything? Uh, are, are, let me phrase it this way. Do you have high expectations for Christmas? <laughs> well, I I mean, for me, it'll just be with family, home, yeah. locally. It'll be pretty, uh, pretty low-key, yeah. which I'm fine with. Yeah, Christmas. I, I'm trying to find ways to get more into the Christmas spirit, and I just haven't found one yet. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, it seems like – I mean, it's already ne- this week. Uh, I mean, it's it's hard to kind of wrap my mind around because it always seems to sneak up every year. But, yeah, I think partially it's just kind of the year we've had, too. It's hard to, to get excited because we didn't really turn the corner – on in any of these areas it's not like we can say yes like yeah. you know that was a success or you know we've we're finally completely out of 2020 we're not so we're just kind of limping along does anyone in your family just lose their mind over christmas just decorate and just just loves it uh, i mean i have a few people that really get into decorating but not any that are into like the christmas where they start like month in advance and they're yeah. watching the tv shows and singing because that's what gets me, um, you know, wound up is I just, I can't do it that early. Like the people that go like Halloween time I and they're can't. already in Ugh. Christmas mode. I'm like, that's too soon. People that turn Christmas into a two month event. I, I literally hate. There's some people that continue it well into January. I mean, into the end of January, even, I mean, they just. Yeah. January 2nd, I want to drive through our neighborhood and just start ripping people's Christmas lights down. <laughs> After Jan 1, if you've got things up, up you've yeah, got, you got to take them down. So what's going to be maybe, we don't have to decide this today, but potentially what's some resolutions we could make for 2022? What, what do we want to see improve? These could be personal, uh, uh, political, whatever, whatever they are for 2022. Uh, you know, I think for me, it's kind of like reorient myself, like find that, um, uh, find a better balance, yeah. uh, particularly with, uh, I think things that relax and call me and, and other interests outside of work. So yeah. that, um, and really make and creating that separation between work and the rest of my life. And that's hard to do. I think when you work remotely sometimes, because you're always on and you're always available, uh, but it's knowing like, hey, I can turn off my phone or I can turn off yeah. Slack and I don't have to look at my email, um, you know, five times before I go to bed. So uh, so for me, it's being able to create those lines of division and give myself space to just not have anything to do, but to just to think and to reflect yeah. and to breathe and and not feel like I have to jump on the next thing that's demanding my attention. Well, I know for me in, in 2020 and 2021, my my. My usage of my phone has 
amplified significantly. Oh, mine too, yeah. And I completely gave myself a pass on it in 2020 because you need information, pandemic, right. and so much is happening. And I made the same excuse in 2021. I, I've got to try to find some ways in 2022. Do you ever check how, how much, much time you've spent I, on your phone? I, I bailed off of that. I, I'm afraid. I don't want to do it because I'm afraid to check it because I know it's going to be insane. So I had it on to... for a while and it just made me depressed because yeah. it's like, because it's like, I, it's like, I got to do something about this. And then you think you're doing better and it's like, I did worse. Right. So yeah, I kind of, I kind of, like I said, gave myself an excuse to why I didn't need to look at that. But this year, it's definitely time to figure out what's my relationship to my phone. And I think that's how I've got to look at this. Not how do I not you know, stay off Twitter as much. Mine is that I, I'm physically addicted to that phone. Yeah. If I don't know where it is all the time, I get anxious. I get right. nervous. All of the, the physical signs of addiction I display over that device. Well, so- so many people do. I mean, that's yeah. so common. Yeah. And if I look, if I think to back through 2021, what are your biggest, you know, you look at your biggest freak out moments. They're always about where's my keys? Where's my phone? You know, we always have that time where, you know, your wife's like, oh, God, would you just shut up? Would you, I don't know where your phone's at. Why do you keep losing this thing? <laughs> Keeping track of my, my stuff better and forming a different relationship with the phone would be too That's big a good ones one. for 2020. I would add like, and I know it's cliche, but kind of start living in the moment. Um, like try to not be as scheduled out um, as much as possible. Yeah. Um, you know, that was something that I was able to do during the pandemic, but then got back in the habit of 2021 of kind of over scheduling on different things. And, you know, declining meetings and, you know, that type of thing. Um, so I would, I would add that, uh, as well. I guess, you know, the biggest change for me in 2021 was just exiting the workforce yeah. that I'd been in that for was a, so a huge long. One, yeah. It just deciding I was done in the market and that I'd been in and kind of and you're doing semi, something completely different. Yeah. Now. Doing yeah. something completely different. I thought that was, you know, the pandemic, what I learned in 2020 about the world of work was I'm not a, I'm not a, a remote worker. I'm not yeah. a work from home person. And I think for my own mental health, that was a change that had to be made. And I'm glad in 2021 that I made that, that change. Cause if I was sitting in my basement still, I would be, I would be going insane. Yeah. I'd weigh 600 pounds. I'd be pissed all the time because I just <laughs> never found a way. I mean, how do you get comfortable doing that? I just never found a routine that I could get into that I enjoyed and I thought was healthy for me working yeah. from home. Yeah. And, and, and I think that's the case. I mean, some people acclimate to it very well. Others do not. Um, I mean, this is a simple question, but how do you not just eat all day? Cause that's what I would do. I you, would literally, you eat know, what's ironic all the is I, I tend to like not eat. Unlike when I was in an office job where Ugh. I had that set lunch break and everything. I mean, many times like I'll skip lunch or I'll just eat like one snack to get myself through the yeah. day. Like I, I tend to eat less actually. Um, but again, that's just me. I kind of sat down and said, there's a whole bunch of new self-disciplines I'm going to have to develop if I were to work at home. Yeah. And I just don't want to do it. I, I just... I just don't want to do it. That's and see, not and the I'm the opposite. I like, I don't think I could ever go back to an yeah. office full time. I could do like an office flex type of schedule yeah. where you had a few days in, a few days out, but not full time in the office. And, and two, just that, that recognition that I am off work. I shouldn't be doing this right now. I, I don't have to work 24 seven, right? Just cause it's here. Doesn't mean I have to be doing something. that work life balance does matter a lot though. Um, you know, it's, and I, I think it's key and that's one area why like I have, I think for the immediate, if not, um, foreseeable future kind of given up, um, ever moving back to like a startup environment where yeah. there's a lot demanded of you. Yeah. And it's interesting. Like I've seen like a couple of, uh, um, uh, job postings online for a couple of various startups. And one of them was like, um, we need somebody who's a go-getter who's willing to work long hours, 55 to 70 hours a week. I'm like, I've uh, been there, done nope. that. Like, nope. yeah, I can't imagine going yeah, back I did, to that. I did a decade in startups. It's yeah. just basically, yeah, you, you have some more flexibility, you have some more freedom, but you have no money and no resources. Right. Figure it out. That's that's always the stuff. We'll just figure it out. With what? What are we going to figure out? Having yeah. no money is having no money. There's no there's nothing to figure out. What do you? And I think too when when the Fed finally raises the interest rate, I think this is going to be interesting in in 2021. Well, they're going to sig- they're going to do a couple in in 2021. I believe they've already scheduled three potential right. rate hikes. When those come and and companies don't have access to free money it's going to be a big problem for a lot of folks. 
Yeah. I, and so that'll be something we have to watch closely. Um, oh, and one last thing that I would add for, for me as far as uh, something I'll do is uh, reconnecting with uh, people I haven't spoken to in a long time, like old friends and acquaintances. <laughs> Every year I say I'm going to do that. Because I, I, I feel bad, and I actually did. I picked up the phone and called a college buddy who I hadn't spoken to in four years and had an hour-long convo with them on Saturday. Was, was that great. scary to do? Because I'd be terrified of that. And I don't know why. Well, I, you know, I had sent him a message over LinkedIn first to say, hey, one of the chat, how are you doing? Is this still your number? This is the number I had for you. Um, so it wasn't completely out of the blue, but yeah. it was a little bit scary. I mean, awkward, but it was good. And then I was glad that after we had the conversation, um, cause he was a very good friend, but we both were just busy with lives, careers, and yeah. we both fell out of it. And so it happens, it happens, but I do want to get back into the routine of reconnecting with some of those people. Cause it's good. It's healthy. Uh, and it's, uh, it's nice. And I think that it's too easy to let the years go by and then you don't. And then you're like, Oh, I haven't talked to so-and-so in 10 years and you feel bad. It's a weird time for me to live in to where people as groups and as individuals are getting harder and harder and harder to like. <laughs> and at the same time, your awareness of that, you have to have people in your life yeah. is becoming more and more acute. So right. that's those two things. Those are two lines like moving in the opposite direction that we got to find a way to intersect yeah. together. Let's end with this. Give me the one travel location in 2022 that you don't care what va- you're going in 2022. You don't care what COVID does, what variants are out there. This is the place you're going in 2022. Oh, that's a good one. Uh, when it pops up on the you know Expedia app that, hey, special going to X, you're like, that's it. We're done. I Even would, if the point that work tells you, hey, you got to fit it. Hey, I don't care. I'm going. <laughs> uh, that no, that that's a great one um, because I and I actually haven't planned trips that far ahead yet into 2022, other than knowing I want to go on several, um, and and that's going to definitely just happen regardless. I would probably say um, Australia, New Zealand. Okay. Probably high up there, yeah. So that's your your travel priority for if you get a shot at going that. You're I going. am. And Have I, you been I, there before? Um, I've been to Australia. I haven't been okay. to New Zealand, and I've only I'd only been to Sydney, so I hadn't seen any any rest of the country. Well, damn! If you go to New Zealand, they'd probably lock you up for a month just in quarantine. Well, that's true. They have the the yeah. whole COVID protocols going on now. But I the reason I just say Europe is I do plan to go back to Europe and um and doing Central and Eastern Europe because yeah. I haven't done that, and I have um you know a, a um just a, my ancestors that go back there. Yeah. So that is going to be yeah. nice to do. Touring Eastern Europe would be pretty cool. That would be. And yeah. you can hit several countries at once. Sure. You might have to have some tour guides through a couple of those places just to make sure you stay on the right path. Right. That's <laughs> Eastern European. It gets a little dicey from time to time. It does. It, it helps to, to know somebody. Absolutely. <laughs> All right. That's our, thanks Brandon. Thanks Craig. Thanks for listening to Two Men in the Middle. Make sure to give us a five-star review wherever you get your podcasts. Check out our website at twomeninthemiddle.com. Drop us an email at twomeninthemiddle at gmail.com or tweet at us at Two Men in the Middle. We'll see you next week.